Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Fabulous Pelton Cast. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And for the first time in weeks, we are talking about a victory by Whoa. your Seattle Seahawks. It, they didn't win a game in all of November, did they? It has been a while since Halloween. <laughs> it was Halloween the last time they won a game. The last time they won a game with Russell Wilson was considerably before that, October 3rd, I believe. The oh Mariners, the Mariners were still playing simultaneous to the last game the Seahawks wow, won. Wow, that was pre-curse. Pre-curse. No, that was, that was actually the start of the curse, I think. Something, well. something like that. Uh, yeah, it's been a minute. It has been a minute. Well, and look, I understand this is a victory to get the team to four and eight. I grant that. This is the first ever emergency pod that we've ever done about a team getting to four and eight. But you know what? We need to talk about something positive for once here. And finally, something positive happened. And it happened in the wildest possible fashion at Lumen Field on Sunday. And I think that's why we needed to do an emergency pod about this game as well. Because it's definitely going to fall into, I know the stakes aren't quite there, but instant classic between these two teams. I mean, win or lose, at least the Seahawks are almost always entertaining. And there was a stretch there after Russell Wilson returned where it was just straight up boring football for about two quarter, two games and three quarters, maybe three and a half quarters against Washington football team. The final five minutes against Washington football team were... We're madness, certainly. I guess there were parts of the first half. I did tweet the Kevin Clark tweet in the first half of the Washington football team game. Well, we did have we did have a, a a block field goal block two. There's not even really yes. a name for that. Yeah, a return to. But this game, it was like that more or less from start to finish. The Seahawks became the second team in the past 20 years, according to ESPN stats and info to game, win a game where they turn the ball over twice inside the opponent's five yard line. By the way, we haven't mentioned off the top, the Seahawks beat the Seattle 49 Seattle, San Francisco 49ers 30 to 23. That's, that's the reason for the emergency pod bringing they're, them. They're basically the Seattle 49ers because we <laughs> own them. <laughs> bringing them to 15 and two against the 49ers going back to the 2013 NFC Championship game, a.k.a. the tip, when the man who raised the 12th man flag, the 12th flag today, who's pictured on your festive sweater right there, Michael Bennett, was making plays. Let me just plays. say, I, I thought that I was being really clever by wearing this Michael Bennett uh, uh, holiday sweater to the Seahawks game today. He was raising the 12th man flag. I didn't even know about that. I just knew that it was December and that I'm going to take every chance I have to wear this Michael Bennett holiday sweater that I have. And let me just note for you what color this sweater is. <laughs> it's red. <laughs> which, which fit in with a lot of the crowd as it turned out on Sunday. There were more than a few people wearing red 49ers jerseys there. It did not cross my mind <laughs> until I was like, I, I was meeting people at Elysian before the game. And as I was like about to get to Elysian, I was like, oh shit, I look like a 49ers fan. 
<laughs> it was like getting kind of strange looks or whatever, or people like glaring at, like looking really closely at the t-shirt being like, what's going on here? Cause most Seahawks fans who are at this game, I, I don't, I'm not sure if they even remember the Michael Ben. Yeah, no, I think they did. They don't know. If Grant Wistrom, if Grant Wistrom was on this shirt, they'd have no idea. If we're Cortez Kennedy, <laughs> anybody's back. Um, I mean, the good news here, by the way, for you is that the Arizona Cardinals game is after the holiday season, well after the holiday season. So you will not be wearing red to another rival NFC West team that wears red game, I would assume. Well, uh, that's correct. And if this was uh, Kent's own Bryce Fisher, I guess we're going to say Renton's own Bryce Fisher. People would have had no idea. Renton's (laughs) own. Bryce Fisher. Maybe I'll get a holiday sweater with Bryce Fisher on it. Make sure that it's blue next time. Yeah. That'll really have people confused. Do you want to talk about anything else generally about this game or should we get into going through the game and the wild swings we had? Well, I, I guess for me, the most important thing that I was thinking about sort of on the larger scale heading into this game was and as a person who has not given up playoff hopes, uh, Look, maybe that that perspective is as wild as the game was today, not having given up playoff hopes. But I just wanted to see the Seahawks look like the Seahawks. And I I think you mentioned that. uh, uh, About playing boring games in this time period, especially as Russell Wilson was recovering from injury and while he was injured as well just playing boring games. And it was like, that didn't look like the Seahawks. I wanted to see an offense that looked like the Seahawks offense. And I think for some of this game that felt like that was not going to happen at all. And I think we finally reached a point in the second half of this game where it was like, and maybe the second quarter was like, I'm what I'm watching is familiar. Now we have seen this team for a decade. I know how it looks. Sometimes they lose. Sometimes the offense doesn't work perfectly, but I get it. And I think that's what we were really, really missing. I mean, I was thinking about the, or I, I can't remember who posted this, but somebody from CX Twitter said that they basically, what's your favorite Seahawks memory? And one of the contenders was the Thomas Rawls game that he had basically when Thomas Rawls like broke out against the 49ers in the 2013 season. And I don't think, and we talk about this over and over and over again. It was 2015, I believe, was the Thomas Rawls. The the 15 season, whenever it was. Um, 2013, you may remember, was the year that they won the Super Bowl. Okay, yeah, yeah. So it was the 15 15 season after everything that happened in the 14 season. But it was like, I don't think I will ever like football again as much as I liked football in that 2015, the second half of that season. Like the waking up on a Sunday and being able to watch, having Thomas Rawls on my fantasy team. And it was just like the combination of having this player who instantly became the best running back in the NFL for a short period of time on the best offense in the NFL. It was like, I, I literally do not think I can care more about football than I did in that moment. So it was like, can we just get a little bit of this? Can we have a run in the second half where we're like reminded why we like the Seahawks in general? And I think that's what we've been missing through most of the season. That's why it's felt really miserable because there've been some weird games, but it's like, even if we're just trying to sneak out a victory in the past six games, basically, it was I, like I that, hope that also actually is very Seahawks football, but like it's not like 
it feels different. It's like they played like crap. I hope we can sneak out a victory. Right. Seahawks football for the previous decade, while there was some of that, was there were periods of real dominance from this team. It's like, can we just, can we have fun again for a second? And I think that's what I personally was really looking for going into this game. And you saw the opportunity playing the 49ers, so many Niners fans in attendance. And it's like, if you were apathetic, you could not be apathetic the second you stepped into that stadium, right? It wasn't still managed like, it during the Apple Cup. Me? Yeah. To be, we were outnumbered in the Apple Cup. That was, that was a business decision to be apathetic. <laughs> but like, the, that also, we've talked about the security at the University of Washington. <laughs> Look, but it was like seeing so many 49ers fans treat this field like they were at home, like they treated the stadium like they were in their home stadium. They were riled up. They were ready. They thought this was their moment. They thought they'd lost seven in a row to UW and Jimmy Lake wasn't coaching on that other side. They thought Bob Gregory was over there. They thought Sam Heward was starting this game, but alas, we saw a return to form from Russell Wilson. So I think overall for me, the larger takeaway was we saw the Seahawks look like the Seahawks, at least on offense again. And we saw Russell Wilson look like Russell Wilson again. And I don't want to get too big picture here. We'll probably talk a bit more about that during the weekly pod this week, but you know who else probably needed to see the Seahawks look like the Seahawks again on offense? Russell fucking Wilson. Yes. Maybe Jody Allen. A lot of people needed to see that. Not just you. So it was, it was exciting to see. I'm actually pretty low down on the list of people who <laughs> ne- needed to. If I, if I didn't see it, it wouldn't have been a big deal. Nothing, <laughs> nothing happens. <laughs> okay, so I observed this going through the box score page for this game on rbsdm.com. Uh, ben Baldwin, third Pelton brother, Ben Baldwin's website. There were nine. He does list the 10 biggest plays in terms of expected points added during a game, which you'll remember used to do features on those every week about the biggest plays in the Seahawks games. And of those, there were nine in this one with an expected point swing of at least four points. And I'm like, that seems like a lot to me. There were a lot of wacky plays in this game. And so I went and looked it up using NFL Fast R. And lo and bull, and Ben also was nice enough to confirm this for me because I wanted to make sure I didn't screw it up. The most plays of that magnitude in any NFL game this season wow. happened out there Sunday. And Sunday Night Football didn't want that. Wow. Maybe it doesn't happen if it's Sunday Night Football, I think. I, I mean, yes. In, in who knows in that multiverse whether yes. the game plays out exactly the same but i figured it would make sense we've often gone through possession by possession in these emergency post game pods this time i think it makes sense to go big play by big play although we'll fill in a little bit some from time to time in between them so we start chronologically the opening possession of the game the seahawks have probably about the most depressing sequence of three plays where they tried like three consecutive screens to the perimeter so that got bad. completely blown up for a total of four points. I'm sending the group chat. Yeah, no, four points would have been great. Uh, I, I'm sending the group chat. Historic yes, too. Shane Waldron might be bad. That was my... <laughs> that was when that came that through. Point. Yeah. That's, that's when that one came through. But it turns out that the Seahawks shitty offense was just a ruse. It was all just a distraction to get the 49ers to feel comfortable before they ripped off a fake punt that not only picked up the first down, Travis Homer keeps going, keeps going. He's got nothing but green ahead of him, and he scores a 73-yard touchdown 
on a fake punt, the first touchdown on a fake punt since 2019, according to ESPN stats and info. In all of the NFL. In all of the NFL. Wow. Travis Homer. Yeah. Had not been I'm a shocked one. by that information. It was a pass in 2019. Had not been a run on a fake punt for a touchdown since 2018. Wow. Hello. I mean, just could not have been a better time to play. The whole thing where it's like, you know, that, that piece about nobody be not people not being riled up for this rivalry, seeing so many 49ers fans, the way that the game started with on the opening kickoff having, uh, yeah, we didn't mention that. And we certainly should have having Trenton cannon injured, unfortunately taken off in, in the ambulance. Uh, we, you know, want to wish him get well soon. He's staying overnight in Seattle for observation uh, hopefully not as serious as it looked. And obviously, you know, they take every precaution in those situations. We we've seen situations where, you know, this year with Seattle sports teams, Alex cook was able to return to play for the Huskies. Daryl Taylor returned to play this season for the Seahawks and, and hope the same thing for Trenton Cannon as well. Yes. Absolutely. And I, and I think obviously those moments make you think about more than football. And so that's kind of the headspace that everybody was in when that happened. It was like the Seahawks offense came back out ran a couple of clearly going to be unsuccessful plays. This is not the offense that I like to see. This is not the good offense. Uh, and to have that play at that time and the amount of space that he had, I mean, it's a play where it was like, they obviously saw something for the 49ers there and they were just dialed it up right away. They got the perfect situation to use it right on that first possession of the game. And it really, really changed things extraordinarily quickly, as you can imagine. I mean, the first uh, fake punt for a touchdown in two, two full seasons. It's like that play was monster having that happen and finishing it. It wasn't just the big play. It wasn't just a long run. It wasn't, they came back out. They didn't kick a field goal. It's the kind of shit that we've been seeing all season was like, Oh man, huge play followed by, Oh, they didn't score or miss field goal or whatever. Travis there, Homer. There was some of that in this game later. Travis Homer finished the damn run. And to score that, I mean, unreal, right? You have that moment where you're like, is that big balls Pete over there again for the first time in a long time? Is that who's walking through the store? There were some punts later, but for a moment, we got to see what it was like again. There wasn't really egregious punts. Actually, I thought his worst fourth down decision was kicking the field goal. Uh, instead of punting there, I would have punted. The, you mentioned seeing something on film. And one of the things I love with Hard Knocks, the in-season versions, they've done all or nothing in the past on Amazon Prime, but now we're doing a Hard Knocks in-season with the Colts is when like you see the special teams meeting and they're like, this is the thing that's going to happen. In, in a past episode, they were talking about the Buffalo Bull, Bills returner being prone to fumbles. And so they talk about it in a special teams meeting during the week, and then they show the game, and they force a fumble by that returner. And just the excitement of seeing that paid off, and like that's, that's what coaching is right there. So it would be awesome to be able to see that special teams meeting where they talked about where, why this fake would work. We're, we're not going to get that opportunity with the Seahawks, but we know that it must exist out there. All right, the next big play in this game uh, came on the uh, – it, it took a while after this, but uh, or I guess two possessions after this. The, the Niners quickly go out, and then Gerald Everett oh. on a tight end screen fumbles a minus 4.3 expected point swing for the Seahawks here, and the 49ers quickly converted it into seven points is a George Kittle touchdown on the next play. So that one wasn't – one of the big EPA plays, the George Kittle touchdown, but basically a two-play sweep wins here. Oh, my God. And 
I, there had been less than five minutes of game action that had happened at that point. We'd been in the building for a long time. So much had happened where you're, you're talking about the Seahawks come out, get that three and out quickly. You're like, okay, hey, this is looking pretty good. They have the ball back. Maybe things are moving. And then boom, the game is tied. And then first off, boom, Adrian Peterson's first handoff is a Seahawk. His first carry is a Seahawk. He's met in the backfield by a defender who is basically there as he's getting the ball from Russell Wilson for a five-yard loss. And that's followed by the Gerald Everett fumble. So it was a rough, rough two-play sequence, rough three-play sequence, including the touchdown to Kittle. So that tied the game at 7-7. Seahawks go three and out uh, again on their next possession. Uh, then, then comes big play number three in this game. Still tied at seven is Jimmy Garoppolo is picked off for the first time in this game by Bobby Wagner, a 4.9 point swing in the Seahawks favor in terms of expected points added as it sets them up at the San Francisco 28 yard line monster play by Bobby Wagner watching it on the field. It looked like there was a wide open receiver. And then all of a sudden, boom, Bobby has it going back the other way. Huge play in this one. And it feels like for, for Jimmy Garoppolo against the Seahawks, it really feels very boomer bust. It's like I either he's hitting somebody, you know, George Kittle in stride for an easy touchdown or whatever. Kyle, you you know, missing a, a, a catch or something like that, or it is a pretty horrific turnover. And it seems like that's kind of in the story of Jimmy Garoppolo. Maybe that's the story in general of Jimmy G, but against the Seahawks in particular, we have seen a lot of this. Yeah. But the Seahawks unable to pay this one off. This was what I was alluding to in terms of the big play followed by a negative play is uh, after a hold put them at first and 20 Russell Wilson fumbles as he's being sacked by Nick Bosa and Thankfully, the Seahawks are able to recover it with Ethan Posick jumpy at it on their own 39, but they lose 23 yards, face second and 43, needing to get from their own 39 all the way to the San Francisco 18 to convert a first down. And And then they ran. You know what I'm about is you got to establish the run on second and 43. That's when you start working the run game into it. You know what I mean? mean, It did at least make it a more manageable third and 32. Exactly. It was almost for the worst that they picked up 11 yards uh, on or 12 yards on the Russell, Russell Wilson scramble on third and 32, because it's what enabled Pete to attempt the 56 yard Jason Myers field goal. That was both wide, right. And I don't think ever made it out of the end zone. No, it didn't have the length. I feel like 56 yards. I'm surprised that Jason Myers doesn't have the leg to kick a 56 yard field goal. I mean, I think it depends on the climate conditions. I think in the cold, it wasn't wet at all, which is part of why Russell Wilson was able to look like himself today. Uh, we haven't dealt with that particular like issue since his, since his injury. I mean, look, Russell Wilson is not perfect. We know he was, that he was not wet in Washington and didn't look like, like Russell Wilson. No, that's due to the finger injury. But even when he's healthy, he has a particular kryptonite that we have not faced in a while, thankfully. Uh, but even in, even in the cold and wind, I still think 56 yards is pretty optimistic for any kicker. So San Francisco follows that up with another touchdown to make it 14-7. to seven. Seahawks punt after yet another three and out, losing yardage, uh, facing a third and 24. They went from on consecutive possessions, third and 32 and third and 24. And believe it or not, they did not pick up either of those. San Francisco scores a field goal subsequently to make it 17 to seven. And all of a sudden it's starting to look like 
here we go again for the Seahawks. This is the point at which you're thinking the offense remains broken from the previous it, few weeks. In this moment, I mean, I basically was having the conversation that the Seahawks offense is irreparably broken. Like Russell Wilson got injured and it's, that's it. The offense is done. There will never be another good offense from Russell Wilson Seahawks. I was basically pouring dirt on the Russell Wilson era as Seahawks quarterback and having good offense. It was done. I mean, the game looked over at this point. There was nobody, nobody who is saying that the Seahawks have the Niners right where they want them. I mean, the single most important play of this game in, in many ways, it's not the biggest expected points added swing, but I think maybe the most important point of the play of this game is it's third and 14 at the San Francisco 37 and Russ finds DK for a 33 yard completion down to the four yard line, uh, setting up them to score a, a touchdown. Eventually Adrian Peterson got in there and make it a 17, 14 game. That in that play, that pass to DK Metcalf. There was a, a ball that they that they threw on one of the earlier possessions, which was third in a handful, maybe third, third and three. nine. Third and three. Oh, okay. Yes. Third and three, where they threw it up to DK. He went up and got the ball, but ended up coming down out of bounds. And I think hitting one of these passes to DK, it so it it took a lot of weight off of the relationship. It took a lot of weight out of the offense to be like, we can still do this. We can line up DK Metcalf over there and get him into space and get him open deep and make these passes. Russ can throw these passes. DK can catch these balls. This is what the offense looks like. This fucking bullshit that you're running of these quick, like just trying to get DK the ball or whatever, like that ain't it. That ain't offense. And it took this moment to be like, everybody's fine. Everybody's okay. Maybe long-term we'll see, but in this very moment, Russell Wilson to DK Metcalf down the field is a beautiful thing. And it is a thing they can hit. And also crucial because the next San Francisco drive, it looks like they're working a two-minute drive. They hit the two-minute warning. It's second and six at the Seahawks 48-yard line. And then it turns out they aren't working the two-minute drive. They're just working George Kittle up the sidelines. He's tightroping it. I don't know how he managed to stay in bounds. You could not come closer to going out of bounds without going out, well staying in bounds, and scores his second touchdown of the game, a 48-yarder. But? But? Oh, the next the next play in the sequence? They missed the extra point. That is true. They did miss the extra point. Robert and, Golden and that, that missed extra point ended up being, I mean, not a huge deal necessarily, but when they were coming down at the very end of the game, there was a safety that made this a tie game instead of the Seahawks trailing later on, which we'll talk about. That, that missed extra point, definitely, it's a huge deal in this one. You know, it's similar to the Seahawks and their, right? Didn't Jason Myers miss an extra point? That meant that they were, that meant we went to overtime against Tennessee. Oh, oh no. Okay, that one, yes. But the one where that Washington one you went for the two-point conversion yeah. instead of where the Seahawks need to get a two-point conversion last week in Washington. These little tiny things do end up mattering. And the fact that the Seahawks were up seven at the end of the game, that that safety made it a tie. Like this extra point came back to, I don't want to say haunt the Niners, but it was a factor. And if they would have scored a touchdown, it would have been a huge factor. Now, to show you where my state of confidence in the Seahawks offense was at this point, even after the touchdown they just scored, my main concern was, are the 49ers going to score twice inside the final two minutes of the first half and then have the ball to start the second half? That would have been a pretty brutal combination of circumstances. But this, the Russell Wilson two-minute offense was back. 
Uh, and you know it was back because of the fact that uh, there was a, a short completion that ran a bunch of time to start this drive. Where the, it was fine. Gerald Everett was tackling. I mean, the that. Niners scored way too fast they on that did. possession. And so there was there wasn't a high EPA swing at any point on this drive. It was just a solid methodical drive aided by a couple of roughing the passing passer penalties on the 49ers that gets paid off with D Eskridge scoring his first career touchdown with 12 seconds remaining. How about it? Two completions to D Eskridge as a receiver downfield on this series. There may not have been a high EPA play on this series, but there were monster plays on this series. And this is exactly what I've been telling you. You don't use these receivers as fucking just get, get them the ball in space, throw like these quick little passes. That is predictable offense. That is sideways. I mean, I mean it can work for, it's it works for the Rams, it but works, it does not work for the Seahawks. It works when you're getting receivers with space. Like when there was a play that they ran to Freddie Swain later in the game where there was nobody around him, eight yards and a first down. That's when you do it. When your entire offense is built around this, when it's built around horizontal offense instead of vertical, you use the horizontal to open up the vertical. We've talked about this. And D. Eskridge being able to run routes as a receiver, two in one series, two yep. catches downfield. I, as far as I can tell from memory, these were D. Eskridge's first passes more than five yards past the line of scrimmage of the season. No, I think he had one in the Colts game. The one he got injured on, I think was not, not pretty sure that was gadget play. Was it pretty sure that was, well, he caught at least one real pass in the Colts game. I'm pretty confident. There might've been in the Washington game in one of the like late drives. I think T.S. Gritch might've caught one of those passes, but the other one, the other one was to pick up a third and two. So also a crucial catch. And I think just indicators that, Eskridge is getting more comfortable in the offense and they're getting more comfortable with him, which is understandably going to happen with practice time. So is a result huge deal getting him that first touchdown though. The Seahawks head into halftime trailing 23, 21, and it didn't take long in the opening play of the second half. We had our next big EPA swing here as Travis Benjamin fumbles on the opening kickoff. Another huge play in this game by the Seahawks special teams, Nick Ballore forcing the fumble recovered by Travis Homer, who had a monster day on special teams. And we're off right there. I mean, you look at these plays, look, the Seahawks are about to go up comfortably. They're going <laughs> to easily score a touchdown after this. Nothing could go wrong oh, in this moment, no. but the, the going into the half down, like that touchdown that they scored was enormous in this game. Going into that half, 23-21, I think the Seahawks went into the half being like, we just scored touchdowns on two consecutive possessions. Like, when was the last time that happened, right? Literally, when was the last time that happened? I I mean, they had scored three total possessions since Russell Wilson's return. So probably the Jacksonville game, in all likelihood. It is if that. pretty wild. So, like, they get the Travis Homer run on the fake punt. That's great. Really excited about it. That wasn't the offense looking normal. We have two consecutive possessions now that the offense worked. Yeah. And I, I think that that was the moment where everybody kind of took a second, looked around and was like, is this, is Russell Wilson fixed? Is this the Seahawks that we're watching? Like you didn't go into that halftime feeling and thinking to yourself, they have no chance of winning this game. It's you went into that saying, this is anybody's game at this point. And it was massive to make that, to have that series. So then to get the ball immediately after the half with a chance to take the lead, you're thinking we are off 
at this point. The offense works now. We've got this turnover. This is what the Seahawks should be. Yeah, and the good news is, you know, when the Seahawks offense is operating functionally, never nothing bad ever happens during those periods. Uh, and in this case, it's a third and four from oh. the uh, from the 49ers five yard line, looking for Gerald Everett at the goal line. He's it's in his hands, unable to secure it, bobbles it, bobbles it a third time, and that time his kicks foot it. gets in the way, yeah. kicks it unintentionally, and kicks it directly up for where it can be intercepted. It really was one of those moments where you saw him at, at the game, you saw him drop the pass and you're like, oh God, I can't believe he, what did he, what? Yes. It, it was, it I mean, on a, we'll talk more about another one of those plays later. There were kind of a lot of these in this game where you're just like, ah, oh, bummer that thing didn't happen. But then something else happened. Oh my God. Still though, felt a little bit of confidence where it was like this if you're going to bobble an easy touchdown, kick it in the air and have it be intercepted. The way that you want to do this is to have the opponents have the ball at the three yard line. It wasn't a touchback. They didn't have any return. Like the Seahawks, again, in an extraordinarily unlucky scenario, got the luckiest possible outcome from that. So I got to admit, especially once Elijah Mitchell runs for two yards on second and 10, gets it out to the five, I was not signaling safety. Wow. I was not even thinking safety. Let them off the hook. And you then let your guard down. You're either competing or you're not. I was looking at the play-by-play page while I was doing some research. And lo and behold, I see 23-23 flash at the top of the screen Hello. on the ESPN box score. Spoiling for me, Carlos Dunlap sacking Jimmy Garoppolo in the end zone for a safety to tie the game. Oh, my God. Again, a Carlos Dunlap. Two weeks ago, I have to issue a formal apology. You know, Thank you. You're Carlos Dunlap. I'm sorry. I mean, I, I said Can that Carlos... Full page I thought, ad? Full page ad. I'm sorry, Carlos Dunlap. I said that Carlos Dunlap should be... And look, maybe we'll have to apologize to Gerald Everett. I have not said that Gerald Everett should be released, but maybe he'll be the hero of a future game. Someone else said that in the group chat. <laughs> uh, I, I learned from this Carlos Dunlap mistake that I shouldn't do that. <laughs> Carlos Dunlap with, with the shoe throwing incident in Green Bay. I said he should be released on this very podcast. And then Carlos Dunlap against the hated Niners coming through in this game with the freaking safety getting home. That's the type of scenario you it, it's it's a dream scenario and you don't see it that often. This also on the field looked like it was going to be a face mask. I was scanning. I'm sure maybe you could see it better that he had he was grabbing around the collar. Uh, but I, was I mean, Kevin Harlan for flags. said the same thing. Like he was like, watch the face mask on the replay. I mean, obviously there was, it was too late for there to be a flag at that point, but you're like, Oh, did we totally get away with one here? But then no, did not get away with one. Got away with nothing. Completely I mean, got away with some things, but not, not a cheat Hawks play. So the Seahawks take the, uh, the subsequent good field position from their own 30 and turn it into yet another punt. But that sets up the second interception in this game and the, ne- the next uh, big EPA swing, Jimmy Garoppolo getting picked off by Quandre Diggs, who with no receiver in the vicinity as he's playing center field, was able to basically just field it like an outfielder uh, and then return it effectively all the way down to the, uh, the San Francisco 29-yard line in a play that gave the Seahawks plus 5.7 expected points added. I love Quandre Diggs. 
Well, and this was with Jamal Adams out in the second half. We have not mentioned that. Yes. Missed the second half left late in the first half with a sprain of the same shoulder on which he had surgery after last season, after playing through an injury all season. So you're going to want to sign him to a long extension here. A lot of money. I mean, no, the issue is that Quandre Dix is not signed to an extension. And with each interception, his payday is going up and up. Oh, I mean, Quandre Dix in this game, there, there were some plays that he made. Uh, there was, he came up with the fumble that was not uh, in the hit of Elijah Mitchell on a third down play. There was another play where Elijah Mitchell was running and looked like he was going to pick up a fir- uh, first down and boom, there was Q Diggs out of nowhere. Just this so consistent, such a big, big tackler, but also a clean tackler. And then these opportunistic plays that he makes in the secondary. I mean, that ball again, Jimmy G where it's sometimes he is dropping dimes into George Kittle. And occasionally he just completely airs one right into Quandre Diggs's hands, setting the Seahawks up to be like, I, okay. No matter one way or another, they may have a lead in this game. I mean, they'd had better field position than that and not managed to convert it into points, but that was not the case on this drive. Uh, no big EPA per plays on this one. Once again, just a uh, solid, uh, fairly rapid drive that's capped off with on third and six, a 12-yard touchdown pass dropped into the bread basket for Tyler Lockett by Russell Wilson, a connection oh we've seen so many times before. And that right there, you want proof that Russ is feeling good? That's toss right there. I mean, come on. Look, he's had some beautiful tosses to Tyler Lockett post-injury coming back from that. But this was one where it's like, okay, let's freaking go now. Yes, especially as someone who has Tyler Lockett on his fantasy team. A lot of let's freaking go based on that combination. So that gives the Seahawks a 30-23 to 23 lead. And then you said that the normal football stretch here was in the late first quarter. To me, this was the stretch of normal football. That happens with 228 left in the third quarter. We have then a series of three consecutive punts followed by an extended Seahawks drive. And it just seems like, okay, they're going to put the play, put the game away. Now there was one notable play here. Pete Carroll, Peter Clay Carroll, 70 year old Peter Clay Carroll went for a fourth down instead of kicking the field goal to make it a two score game. He went for it on fourth and one from the San Francisco four yard line. I was surprised. I, you said this was normal football, and I want to unpack what you mean by normal football because how this happened, two consecutive punts from the 49ers, your definition of normal football is not the same as my okay. definition of normal football. The first possession, we have what looks to be a fumble. It's called a fumble on the field, I believe. It was called uh, a fumble on the field, correct. Called a fumble on the field. Quandary Diggs recovers the fumble and said they, they, they say it's a fourth and one. The Niners line up to go for yeah, the fourth and about one. This part of it. it is a Jimmy Garoppolo run, like outside run. Play, it was a read option. I, read option that Jimmy Jimmy G keeps it on the read option, loses a chunk of yardage, and there was an illegal snap where the center basically half snapped the ball and then pulled it back. He didn't half snap the ball. He he literally dropped the ball, Alex Mack, and so that's uh, why it wasn't stopped the play immediately i see that makes more sense i mean we i saw one second of the replay but it was like drops the ball pulls it back illegal snap gets called then they come out and punt this is your normal football to you because that was a pretty wild series the second series it's just that none of the the epa ended up counting yes the next series after that dj reed former niner 
DJ Reed, that is to you, sir, has a pass breakup on second down. Third down, huge completion to, I believe that was to Kittle. That was uh, to Ayuk. Oh, Brandon Ayuk. The monster completion to Brandon Ayuk that completely changes the game. Except DJ Reed is there for the hit. The ball gets dislodged right in front of Peter Clay Carroll, who he grabbed for the flight. We were standing, we were sitting right behind Pete Carroll, and he reached for the flag immediately. I think he was waiting for the second to be like, what are they going to rule on the field? And the second they ruled it a catch, he was like, boom, that is, that is the, uh, there's the flag overturned the quick, a quick overturn also. Then the 49ers punt. Those are your two punts that the Niners had those two possessions and two massive plays by DJ Reed. Fair point. The other part of this that maybe was not very normal is the Seahawks successfully running the ball on this drive that they had late in the fourth quarter. Rashad Penny, mostly, who ended up, uh, you know, with the aside from Travis Homer's fake punt, the leading rusher for the Seahawks on actual offensive plays from scrimmage in this game. So that was a, a remarkable development. Again, fourth and one at the San Francisco four, they go for it. Travis Homer this time picks it up. I, I was expecting to see a Russell Wilson sneak now that he's learned how to sneak and seeing him line up in the shotgun was a little dicey to me, but they made it work. Travis Homer. I mean, such a monster game from Homer. Can I also bring up one more play that happened before this? Because we're getting into the end of the game. And okay. I don't want to forget this play. There was, I, I think this was on the possession that the Seahawks punted on, whereas like Russ threw it up. It looked like it might have been intercepted. The ball clearly hit the ground. Uh, I, I don't know who the Niners defender was who caught it, but sort of like grabbed around the end of the football. It was a third down. And then one ref came running in and was waving his arms off incomplete. Do you remember this play I'm talking about? I do remember this play you're talking about, yes. One ref came running in, waving his arms off incomplete. Then they huddle, the refs huddle, and they say, the ruling on the field is an interception. Then moments later, they come back. No review has happened. No official review has happened. Like literally 30 seconds later, and they're like, after review, it's an incomplete pass. And I'm like, where did this... Where did this review happen? Did I mean, the NFL now, New York, the, yeah, they'll New just York, be yeah, like, you fucked in. it up. Let's yeah. go. That, I mean, that was, it was just like so fast. Where it's like, boom, boom, boom. One person had it right. The refs had it wrong. The NFL came in and overturned it. Apparently it was like so quick. And they said after review and I was like, what? it was, it was dizzying how they even considered it a review. So I think technically the ruling on the field was an interception that was subsequently very, very quickly reviewed and then turn to an incomplete pass. But that was also a very strange series of events, how quickly that happened on the field. Anyway, the Seahawks picked up a fourth down instead of kicking a field goal. That would have made it a two-possession game. Seemed like a no-brainer to me. That they were I know, now in hindsight. God, maybe, well, maybe take the points. <laughs> I mean, they did work some climb off the clock. That was the other reason they to go for lot, it. They worked a lot of time off the clock. Because they ran that fourth down, the yeah, they ran that fourth down play at six nineteen. By the time they run their third and goal at the San Francisco two, there's four fifteen left on the clock. Unfortunately, that play call was a uh, another tight end screen, basically for oh. Gerald Everett, kind of the Travis Kelsey play across the middle, and Gerald Everett fumbles for his second time in the game, turning the ball over to San Francisco in a one score game with 403 remaining and costing the Seahawks a timeout as they try to figure out whether it was actually an, an incomplete pass or a fumble, leaving them with one timeout remaining. I don't think that's when we took a timeout, was it? It was. It was after that play. So there you go. 
Hello, but darkness. You, Hello, you, darkness. Hold on a second here. Of all the outcomes that could have happened on this play, you know Shane Waldron was like, we fucking got him right here. You know he was like, we ran it two times with Adrian Peterson, didn't get it. Also, can I just say, his nickname is AD. All day, Adrian Peterson. Say what you will about whether he should be on the team or not. Are you going to correct me on this and say it's AP? Apparently, he is now okay. It says he's okay with both nicknames. He's, and they used interchangeably. It is It is. It is a... Uh, 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 I don't know what the exact word for it is. It is a misunderstanding of a nickname that has now been treated okay. I mean, look, I'm just also he shouldn't with... be should not be on the roster for so many reasons. But <clears throat> some of the primary reasons being Travis fucking Homer is a better running back. I mean, Travis Homer, I think, has a specific role on the team, so it does make sense. I. You know that Shane Waldron in that moment was just like, we've got the play. This is the time. We're going to give him the Kelsey inside screen. Gerald Everett's going to score. Then he, not only did he not get it, to fumble pretty much immediately. I was like, that play should have been blown dead. I was like, there's, you know, he was fighting for extra yardage. Nope. Fumbled it immediately when he hit the pile. It wasn't like, it was a, it was a clear and present fumble. It wasn't, there was no gray area to it. Everything about it was extraordinarily clear on the fumble from Gerald Everett, who had a bad day. (laughs) (laughs) The old NFL fantasy football, you had a bad day commercials. That definitely applied to Gerald Everett. Uh, Minus 10.6 expected points added on his six targets in this game. Lord. I mean, that is like, this is, I, I think we should talk about what this means for the curse after, after we talk finish up the game, but this is being cursed type stuff that happened here. Like you don't fumble on, Gerald Everett doesn't fumble at the one yard line if you're not cursed. Hadn't fumbled all season, hadn't fumbled since week four of 2020, according to ESPN stats and info. And then twice in one game, both in massive situations, plus an incomplete pass. His first drop of the season. Well, are you kidding? I'm not kidding. Oh my God. <laughs> the, the city of Seattle isn't cursed. Gerald Everett is cursed. <sighs> Gerald yes. Everett must have been, he was probably at fucking Climate Pledge Arena for that Gonzaga game yesterday. Come on. What happened to Gerald Everett today? But if you want to talk about seeing the darkness, hello, darkness, my old friend. We've seen a lot of it lately, but you know what's coming here. And we're just, we're going through, we're going through our heads of if the Niners, not if, will the Niners go for two when they score a touchdown? Are we going to have to deal with this shit? And this game has already been going on for a very long time because of all the stuff you're talking about. Are we going to have to sit through overtime? Am I going to have to be sitting here and watch Jimmy Garoppolo win the coin toss and then march downfield and score a touchdown to beat us? Am I going to, after visualizing the Seahawks winning this game by two scores, going to have to watch these Niners fans celebrate one of the most improbable victories that has happened at Lumen Field? Is this what's going to happen? And this is cursed type stuff that's going on. And in this moment, where, where did they, the three-yard line? Where did they recover Two-yard line. Had to go the 98 yards. Line. 98 yards. We know what's coming. 98 yards to darkness. <laughs> and they got a lot of those yards, as it turned out, as they reach their fourth and goal from the Seahawks three-yard line. They ran two plays from the Seahawks three-yard line. And 
the Seahawks defending every blade of grass in this one or every blade of field turf at Lumen Field come up with the stop. Carlos Dunlap bats down the fourth down attempt by Jimmy Garoppolo to save the day. It's not a Kraken and it's not angry, but a Dunlap! (laughs) Thank God. I mean, the stops that they had at the goal line, I will say they did very good against the run in this game. There were some t- there have been some times throughout the season that the Seahawks defense has probably cared a little bit too much about the run. Uh, maybe in those other games, they weren't fortunate enough to get two picks from Jimmy G. But like they really were able to contain the run. Both of these plays, they didn't give up an easy touchdown when Elijah Mitchell was running it inside the five. So to be able to stop those two, get the pass defense on the previous play, maybe that was DJ Reed again, who had the third down pass defense. And then Carlos Dunlap batting down that ball for the W. No, four that was, and eight. That was, that was not DJ Reed. It was Sidney Jones. Sidney Jones, the fourth IV, baby. Let's fucking go. Four and eight and on our way to the playoffs. I mean, optimistically, the Seahawks are back with Houston on the schedule next week. The Seahawks can at least maintain their, their 3% playoff odds on 538. They can at least maintain their playoff hopes through the matchup against the LA Rams on December 19th. That's, that's the hope right now. There are a lot of NFC teams trying to keep that 3% alive. (laughs) There's some that are trying to, to, to close it off as well. I would say, but yes, I mean, basically all of the teams that the Seahawks have lost to already, the Vikings and the Saints, I mean, the the Saints losing earlier and the Vikings losing today to the Lions. It's like people are keeping it in the, so you're telling me there's a chance range. Washington did get the win today. Another team that previously beat the Seahawks. There's a long list of teams that previously beat the Seahawks as it turns out. Oh, that's the unfortunate thing is they've lost to basically every NFC wildcard competitor. Uh, uh, except for one that they're two games behind now. Who are the Eagles, the Bears? San Francisco 49ers. Oh, hello. Two games behind. <laughs> but they also own the tiebreaker. Yes. Yes. <sighs> uh, to me, by the way, the turning point in this game, we talked about a lot of things in terms of the Seahawks offense. In midway through the first quarter, the 49ers lost cornerback Emmanuel Mosley and brought in rookie Demandre Lenore, who had played just eight defensive snaps since week three after struggling a bit early in the season. I think we talked about this when we were previewing the Seahawks-Niners matchup in week four. Before that is when they were running all the all the stuff at the line of scrimmage. Russell Wilson completed five of his first six passes, but for a total of 12 yards. Afterwards, he was 25 of 31 for 219 yards. So, you know, still not a robust yards per attempt, but a lot better. The play calling was different too, though. You can't tell me the play calling was. They were not trying, and maybe that's based upon who was in the secondary. I think they, they were, were attacking Lenore. Let's Lenore fucking is- do that. Choose a cornerback every week and attack that cornerback. You have TK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. There's no team that has two shut down corners with those receivers. They do not exist in the NFL. A defense does not exist such as this. Choose a, choose a cornerback and attack them because the point isn't that you're actually attacking a cornerback is that you're throwing better passes by throwing the ball downfield. I mean, I would say that their, their play calling sheet at one point in this game looked like the Raven, not the Ravens, the Ravens, because it was Lenore, Lenore, Lenore. I. Uh, I think the other thing that stands out from this game about Russell Wilson being back, we talked about it on the pod. 
his completion percentage over expected was negative the first two weeks he was back in the lineup. It was a slight positive against Washington, but entirely because of the final drive. In this game, do you know what his completion percentage over expected was? What was that? 14.2. There we go. The CPOE oh. King is back. Ah. I just, it's so frustrating that we had to have lost all the, it's like we couldn't squeak out one, one game against one of these teams, Washington, New Orleans, Pittsburgh, all of these games that were definitely winnable, even Green Bay to a certain extent. Right. It was just like all of, and, and I will say it, there was no moment where the, that the Seahawks had where I felt like there was a, a, a 50-50 decision that went wildly against them. And we've seen a lot of those over the stretch, whereas like these little plays where you're like, damn, that could have gone either way, but it went against the Seahawks, this Kevin King ball. After seeing the types of reviews that they've had, like the the ball that they caught, that they called incomplete from Brandon Ayuk when DJ Reed hit him, it was clearly incomplete. But like the fact that they kept that Kevin King interception, I will not let this go. The fact that they kept that as interception is just shocking to me. And I don't know, did they do an official review process on it? Like what happened? What went into keeping that as a completion? Because I've seen a lot of passes that look like they maybe should be complete and have still been incomplete, including the ball that Washington had last week that would have ended the game. You're like, wow, this looks like a touchdown. But that particular one, they just, I just feel like they just completely missed. And it's like, if they would have just picked off one of these games, the situation we'd be in, Russ is back. back. The CPOE God is back. Can we just rattle off some victories? And if there was one other game in the right direction, I think, you know, that 3% could be up to 10 plus. I think potentially so. I mean, the one nice thing about going to a 17 game season is it's an additional week for the Seahawks. And it also means that, you know, whether the playoff chase comes to fruition or not, they still have the opportunity to finish above 500. So that's something they would, that would be out of the picture at this point in, in years past. Yep. Well, it was nice to, to feel normal again. And as we reach December, Pete Carroll loves coaching in December, maybe not last year, uh, <laughs> loves coaching in December. Seahawks had beautiful weather today. Uh, and the perfect opponent to get right. And hopefully that'll continue next week with another correct opponent. And maybe we could go into a game in a couple of weeks, which hopefully will be a, a huge one against no matter what, it'll be a big deal playing against the hated Rams. And <laughs> is it the be... hated Rams or is it the hated Matthew Stafford and Sean McVay combo? Oh, it's the hated Rams. We've been hating the Rams since way before Sean McVay and Matthew Stafford. That's fair. So, this was a nice step in the right direction, and hopefully it'll continue from here. Like I said, we'll have some more big picture talk, I think, on the Seahawks on this week's regular podcast, along with previewing that game in Houston and all the rest of the roundup. A quick toast to uh, UW men's soccer advancing to the College Cup, UW volleyball reaching the Sweet 16 for the ninth time in 10 years. So two tremendous accomplishments, two programs who have managed to evade the Seattle sports curse. All right. As a bonus here, I know this has been haunting you, right? Do you want to, you went back to climate <laughs> pledge arena. This is the only place you could talk about Gonzaga basketball. I guess the only situation you could talk about Gonzaga basketball is after a loss, baby. The curse is over. The only people who are cursed in Seattle are Gonzaga. Now one of many, uh, you've been wanting to tell the story about catching a t-shirt 
at Climate Pledge Arena, the food in the press box. I'm now no longer upset about a Seahawks loss. Let's hear about, about you catching a t-shirt. I mean, it's not really much of a story. <laughs> there was a t-shirt that was thrown and it got overthrown and landed in the in our row. And the friend who I went to the game with did not want the t-shirt and gave it to me. So therefore I ended up with my first ever thrown out free t-shirt at a sporting event. I've obviously gotten plenty of free t-shirts at sporting events, but never one thrown out before. So it was a big, exciting moment for me. Overthrown. Was it Jimmy Garoppolo today throwing that throw <laughs> or Russell Wilson the previous three weeks? Uh, something like that. Uh, there was no food in the press box at Climate Pledge Arena. We're going to talk, uh, at least for this game. I mean, obviously for cracking games, there is. Uh, for the wow. Gonzaga game, there was not that I, nice that I saw. I, know, I mean, Gonzaga didn't put on the game. Somebody Gonzaga else doesn't put on care the about the press. <laughs> I mean, they, they probably don't, if we're being honest. Uh, I, so I went to eat afterwards. We'll talk about that on this week's pod as well, because it was an exciting spot to, to finally visit. Uh, it was the first like big-time basketball game at Climate Pledge Arena. Seattle U has hosted some basketball games there. It, let's be honest. It's not quite the same vibe. It's a game that sold out in 15 minutes after they put it on sale. The first Gonzaga game in Seattle since 2015. They hadn't had battle in Seattle the couple of years before the arena started being renovated. So everybody was excited. It was a great matchup against Alabama. This is like a second week of the NCAA tournament kind of matchup that you could potentially see. And uh, I think it was a great showcase of the arena for basketball. One other little thing I thought was cool, when they played the battle in Seattle in the past, I think it was on the Storms court. But they have... I'm not sure if it's the same one that Seattle U uses or not, but there's a dedicated basketball court that in the end zone says Seattle. So like if you're watching it on TV, every time you're seeing that shot, you're being aware that this is Seattle hosting a big time basketball game. And hey, maybe maybe someday it could be a basketball game involving professional teams. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. No, it looked great. The, I mean, everything about it looked for a college game it looks super professional it just popped on tv this game everything popped on the tv except for gonzaga's play am i right <laughs> uh it seemed like a very good place for basketball all things I, considered i also it, it was very it's very disorienting to be completely lost in what seems like the same building in some ways that i spent a good chunk of my life in working for the Sonics and, and covering the storm and working for them for so many years. So I went completely the wrong direction, looking for the post-game press conferences and walked past the NBA locker room. And that was just nice to say. It was nice there's to an know NBA locker room. They built there's, an NBA locker room. There's a specific NBA locker room. There's a Kraken locker room, obviously the storm locker room, and then one for the NBA. Who it is. Just, is it just empty? Just a ghost locker room? <laughs> well, I assume the teams use it in situations like this when you have, and then especially when you have like Seattle, you just have access to it. <laughs> I don't know what Seattle use. They might. I'm not sure on that one. They might, but it's it's not branded for them at least. I I will give it up to the the Oakview Group and Climate Pledge Arena that they built an NBA locker room. That is that is more anticipation for an NBA team than I anticipated. <laughs> more than, more anticipation than you anticipated. This I mean, is me it the, like the like classic. they built it as if it was going to come? Yes, and hopefully well, build it. They will come. Hopefully Adam Silver was paying attention because it was big time. It was ba college basketball in the city of Seattle. But certainly big time NBA prospects and a huge contingent of scouts came to Seattle because they were expecting they were going to get a doubleheader or a back-to-back. -back. 
that they were going to watch Chet Holmgren and J.D. Davison from Alabama is a pretty big-time prospect as well on Saturday night. And then they figured Sunday at noon they'd see UCLA and their prospects <laughs> against UW. Unfortunately, that game unable to be played because of uh, COVID positives in the UW organization, uh, UW program reported as uh, seven players and coaches tested positive in the wake of their trip to South Dakota for the crossover classic. So some other teams from the crossover classic also dealing with oh, positive really? tests in the wake of that seems, seems, seems like potentially a, a common spread there. So, but uh, we'll, we'll talk more about that and whether UW can get back on the court because they're scheduled to face Gonzaga next Sunday uh, on this week's pod. Are, are we going to talk about on this week's regular podcast, Clay Thompson? Oh, yeah, we should mention that for sure. I mean, let's just do it now. Clay Thompson wearing his Jimi Hendrix Sonics t-shirt, which is clearly John Johnson, the the uh, the legendary late John Johnson is the uh, the jersey there. Uh, and talking Jimmy about is wearing a John Johnson jersey was photoshopped into that. Yes. And no, uh, it's not. It's not a real thing. I, I don't think so. I was wondering about that. I was like, wow, gonna, I've never seen Jimi Hendrix wearing a Sonics jersey in any photo ever. I mean, I would have to double check the timeline, but I'm pretty sure we uh, introduced the uh, the rainbow jerseys after Jimi Hendrix tragically passed away. Okay. So, that's... <laughs> don't think it times out correctly. Okay. I was wondering because I was like, wow, I've, I can't even like really visualize Jimi Hendrix wearing a Sonics jersey. <laughs> no, it doesn't seem right uh clay clay uh talking on a boat doing his ig live talking about bringing the sonics back wearing that i mean just iconic i mean clay thompson's a legend it's pretty funny because if you're an nba player and you just want to curry public favor in the, especially in the city of seattle just talk about it like it costs you nothing oh, no, it's, <laughs> it's so, so easy, easy to do like dave Lillard. that's it oh. He did nothing. He just like said, bring the Sonics back to Seattle wearing a Jimmy, a Photoshop Jimmy Hendrix t-shirt. And everybody in Seattle is like, we fucking love you, Clay. Oh, of course. Clay's honorary Seattleite at this point. Even though he's from Portland and went to Washington State. (laughs) It doesn't, it does not matter. Any person who notes that they want basketball back in Seattle, we are a hundred percent down. Like if you become a basketball pariah for whatever reason, or something, just like go start going hard on the Sonics coming back, and at least the city of Seattle will fucking love you. It'll get it'll get retweeted so many times. Just get on a boat, put on a Photoshop Jimi Hendrix Sonics jersey, start talking about Seattle, and your public favor will be returned. I think you got to find a new new T-shirt now. You don't want to copy Clay too directly. Something in the Sean Kemp variety would would also go. work well. Wow. All, all right, on that note. Thanks for listening. Thanks. It was sort of like a weekend wrap-up pod. Yes. I don't think that's bad. No, I don't actually. think so either.